0: Hey, everyone, it's Kyle Worley, and uh, you're going to be listening now to an episode of Knowing Faith Remix. This is an episode we recorded back in 2019. We recorded it with the title, A Lesson in Pronouns, which now looking back on it was... Is kind of maybe not the best title for a podcast episode, but we were dealing with the doctrine of union with Christ. Union with Christ, which, if you know, is something I'm very, very passionate about, something that the Knowing Faith team is really passionate about as well. And so we talk really about the significance of the doctrine of union with Christ, what it is, why it matters, and how it really impacts our Christian faith and practice. And so hope you enjoyed the discussion, Engineer Brad. Roll the tape on a lesson in pronouns, the doctrine of union with Christ. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Jin Wilkin and J.T. English. Listen, we love getting to interact with listeners of Knowing Faith online. We often use the hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast to try to bring all of that interaction together. And so, if you're a listener to Knowing Faith and you want to jump on and join the discussion, you can use the hashtag Knowing Faith Podcast. Hashtag Knowing Faith podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss the doctrine of union with Christ, why it matters, why it's significant for the life of a believer, and where you go in the Bible to actually explore it. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, okay, so uh, Lydia mm-hmm. came to me a week ago, um, and she was like, hey, do you want to see my hideout? And I was like, What? <laughs> Oh no, she wasn't saying hi to Clubhouse. And it immediately clued me into a part of childhood is like clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Was this a part of y'all's like mm-hmm. did you have kids? I mean your kid not do you have kids?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do, Kyle. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I did do your have kids. kids have like clubhouse like do were they they, still? Were they ever <laughs>
1: yeah they're Um, all living together down at school right
0: yeah that's that's their clubhouse Clubhouse. but Lydia came to me and was like daddy do you want to see my clubhouse and I was like what is she talking about and I realized that she watched so sometimes she watches like clips from the Mickey clubhouse thing and so I was like that must have been where she got that word but so I go into her room and she like we have a closet with like the sliding doors, yes. and so she got behind there and she was like, "Welcome to my clubhouse." Aww. And I was like, Aww. "Thanks." And I was like, "Can I come in?" And she said, "Always." And I was like, Thank
1: you. <laughs> "Next time oh. there will be a password." Oh, right re- yeah. <laughs> No, don't say that. Be password <laughs> that's, protected. That's next the next time. evolution yeah. of
0: the clubhouse mm-hmm. thing. Is hopefully it was that with little girls too or just with little boys?
1: Well, my kids. We always built we and they built blanket forts. Yes, you know the elaborate blanket forts. I was system. doing that with Thomas the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that they ever had a an actual dedicated space in the house because we were kind of all jammed in there a sure.
0: little bit. yeah. Well, Lydia has crafted her own. Yeah, <laughs> It's the closet <laughs> that's her clubhouse now. And, um, you know, it's funny because uh, Lauren and I have been joking. Uh, there are some ways, did, and I'm sure you guys have done this or you're doing this or you did this, but, like, I'm always kind of, like, trying to spin a situation into talking to her about, like, jesus but lauren was like i think that sometimes you're forcing the yeah. situation Yipping. like she has a doll she has like a bunch of like stuffed animals mm-hmm. and there's tags on the stuffed animals well one of the brands of the stuffed animals is called jelly cat it's one of it's like a okay. i guess a stuffed animal brand right. and the jelly cat logo is on there it's like a scary looking cat okay i mean the, sc- the cat looks scary and she wouldn't she stopped playing with those dolls because she was like hey uh, like she was essentially these saying, like, I, I, don't, I don't like these cats. Right. It, the, the dolls are fine, but it's the cat logo on the tag. And so I was like, look, daddy's going to solve this problem for you. So I went and I cut the tags off and I brought her back and I was like, I was like, Lydia, you don't have to be afraid of these anymore because I cut the tags daddy off.
1: Daddy
0: shanked these <laughs> Yes, <laughs> daddy shanked these stuffed animals <laughs> but, And then I was like I, and In my, my, my head I was like, maybe this is a moment So I was like, Lydia, do you know how you were scared of this cat that was on here and it was like on this thing and I cu- and daddy cut it away Well, we have this thing in our no, hearts Kyle. I did, is that wrong?
1: Oh.
0: And I was like, we have this thing in our hearts and <laughs> God God cuts that away so that we don't have to be afraid anymore any longer and she was just like no cat like of course it was like totally irrelevant to her she was just like she just wanted to be assured that the cats weren't there any longer but you guys ever do stuff like that where you start trying to explain the gospel or jesus to your kid and you realize that maybe you're trivializing it in the act (laughs) that like maybe you're taking something really profound and making a mock accidentally making a mockery of it does that never happen i don't think i've i mean certainly i have my
2: massive massive parenting feels Mm -hmm. Maybe I just
0: need. Wait, is that wait is that a mass parody for what I? It's a pretty big one. Oh gosh!
2: (laughs) (laughs) Trivializing, trivializing the gospel. I think (laughs) qualifies. Okay. So Thomas and I are going through uh, the. I think I said this on our podcast before. The uh, New City Catechism, the kids' version. Yes. And it's not some like he's really interested in. it. He calls it our questions. He wants to do it a couple times a day. It's not so much a matter of trivializing the content. It's just like. He gets disinterested very, very quickly. Yeah. Because okay. he's
1: small. Totally. And right. it's fine.
2: It's just a matter of like, is my Enneagram one type going to force us to do mm-hmm. it? I, are, we, yeah. are we just going to march through this no matter what? Or to say, yeah, let's <laughs> throw stuff at dad, whatever, you know. Right. right, right just, whatever the thing yeah, is. Whatever it is.
1: So. Yeah. Okay. No, I never made any parenting mistakes, but it's interesting to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I've you, Jim.
0: Always so cathartic to talk to you about these things. Um listen, I have to tell you, it bothers me that we are thirty six episodes in and we're just getting to the doctrine of union.
2: But Brothers. we aren't really. I understand why you say that. We haven't done a full episode on it, but we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's basically been in every
0: episode. Well, yeah.
1: You couldn't have eaten that. Lozenge before we started
0: recording. Yeah, Kyle. <laughs> no, wait, no wait, Let the record show. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a dry throat. It's okay. okay man, whatever.
2: Yeah,
1: um, but hang on, hang on. Somebody give us a definition. What is what do we mean when we say union with Christ? What is the doctrine of the union of Christ?
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, we could probably define it a lot of different ways, but probably the broadest thing that we could say is the doctrine of union with Christ is that doctrine that states that uh, we enter in by grace through faith into Jesus Christ, meaning that salvation is not just something that God gives us, mm-hmm. but salvation is something that we receive. All of the blessings of salvation are received in Christ Jesus. So, that does
1: not clear it up for me. I need you to
2: okay. Well, push that let's out a keep working more. on it. Here's Burkhoff's definition.
1: Oh, okay. he's my boy. I know
2: that's why I, I looked this up just for you.
1: Nice.
2: Union with Christ is the intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and His people, in virtue of which He is the source of their life and strength and the blessedness of their salvation. So uh, that's still fairly complex and complicated. Yeah. But what He's trying to say, and I think what union, union with Christ, is trying to say is that the in him or with him language in the Bible is the most important language as it relates to our salvation. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: John Frame says in Christ is the most general thing that can be said about a believer Mm -hmm. in Christ, Mm -hmm. that they are in Christ Jesus. Uh, To kind of just give another, because I know sometimes we, we... Sometimes, like when we're doing this, uh, just as a listener note, you'll be like, "JT will throw out a definition." I'll be like, "You could also define it this way." It's because that, like, we're all like we're we're throwing out definitions, not because they're at odds with one another, right? But because we're just trying to be like, "Well, but maybe this will make sense to you mm-hmm. as well, right. Mm-hmm. right?" So, like, the of like definition is great. Mm-hmm. Um, Union with Christ is. I have this written down. This is notes that I use when I teach the believer's identification participation, and incorporation. Okay. So identification mm. saying that this person is identifying with Jesus and Jesus is identifying with this individual. Mm-hmm. Participation, that it's not just a static thing. Theologians have often talked about a dynamic or vital is the one in Burkhoff. that it's a, uh, it's not just something that has happened where we're like now we're like on a register in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's like Jesus's name up at the top. And I'm number whatever, whatever, right? Um, But it's it's an ongoing thing. There's a Mm -hmm. participatory element, okay? And incorporation. The incorporation sign is that we have been brought into the body of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We have been incorporated not just we're in him in terms of like he is our covenantal head, which we'll get to I'm sure here in a few moments, Mm -hmm. that he now is our representative before God, but that he has incorporated us into his body. Right? Meaning his body, the church. The body, of the church. Yeah. And so believers, identification, participation, and incorporation within, through, and into. The reason that I've put all of those prepositions in is because they're the prepositions that are most commonly used in the New Testament mm-hmm. to talk about this. So you'll see with Christ, you'll see in Christ, you'll see through Christ, and you'll see into Christ. And this union, this identification, participation, incorporation is within, through, and into the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the heavenly session of Jesus. That's all saying that like we are united to Christ in every bit of his life. That's right. Right? So in the life and ministry of Jesus, that's a pivotal part of what it means to be united to Christ because guess what? In Christ Jesus, we are knit to him who obeyed perfectly on our behalf. Mm -hmm. And his life and ministry is a reflection of that. Mm -hmm. In Christ's death, we are knit to the one who has paid the full penalty for sin. In Christ's resurrection, we are knit to him who has triumphed over death. In Christ's ascension, we are knit to him who is in the very presence of the Father. And in Christ's heavenly session, right, heavenly session being Christ's ongoing work at the right hand of the Father Mm -hmm. now, we are participants in God's mission in the world through his body.
2: So what you're saying is that in some mysterious but very real sense— you were in
0: Christ in the crucifixion. And yes, and when he was healing people. Yes. And when he was obeying the law and when he was teaching and in his resurrection over the grave and presently so he, so at his, the right so hand his of So his time
2: in the grave was your time in the grave. Yes. His time in a resurrected body is and will be your time in a resurrected yes. body.
0: Yes. What can be said of Christ can be said of me because I am in him. Mm-hmm.
1: Can and, I go Trinitarian for a second and oh, ask yeah. a question? We don't do that here.
0: Yeah. Would, I'll answer your question because JT has no interest in would
1: it? So then when we speak of union with Christ, we would not say union with the son. We would say union with Christ or would we say union with the son? Well,
0: okay. I would love to hear what you have to say about this before I jump in. I would actually love to hear what Great. you have done. Uh, so this gets at something we've talked about a little bit here. When we're talking back about like what Jesus has done, what mm-hmm. the Son of God has done, mm-hmm. kind of like the, what, what I might call post-apostolic witness, right? Mm-hmm. Of the new, doing New Testament theology. It's perfectly fine for us to treat as synonymous Jesus Christ and the Son of God mm-hmm. because they are one person, right? Yeah. It's the same person, right? It's two natures in one person.
1: But I'm thinking about john 1 1 like am i united with christ in creation
0: wow this got we got into the hardest stuff right at the beginning um i, I, I would not say that yeah me too and, and mostly because it seems like it is uh the initiative of god demonstrating his identification with us is the incarnation event that's right Right?
1: Yeah, I think that's really good. That, but, but I think that's something that gets really confusing for people because, like, one of the I would I would want to know. I get where we can see this in the New Testament. I see it throughout the New Testament. Spe- specifically, I wrote a study on um, the ladies called it the Johns, which I still think is funny. But it's 1st, Second and Third John, and you see it a ton in yes. First, Second, and Third John. But um, where would I go in the Old Testament?
0: Well. To, to talk about this? Yeah. Doctrine? Well, okay. So can would I, I, can I, can I, can, yeah, I, you would. can I say something else before we go? There? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So in Ephesians one, which yeah. is probably,
2: this is it. This is the mother. Th- I mean, maybe the just-
0: ultimate example mm-hmm. of union with Christ. I'll just read a portion of Ephesians one and, and I'm going to kind of read it in a way that emphasizes some of the union with Christ mm-hmm. linguistics here. Okay. So blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, before we actually talk about conceptually how this plays out in the Old Testament, I think in one answer to your question, are we in Christ before the foundation of the world? We are by virtue of our election in Christ, Mm -hmm. that we are set apart in Jesus Christ, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, are we, should we read the old Testament or should we read what God is doing in Christ Jesus through the old Testament as that we are co-participants in that work? I'm going to be like, just like JT said, more hesitant there because the scriptural witness is certainly not as clear. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, Are we in Christ Jesus? The elect, the chosen, those who have been predestined for adoption are 100% in Christ Jesus from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, before the beginning. Mm -hmm. That is true. Okay? Now, when we talk about how this concept of union with Christ plays out in the Old Testament, we're not getting as clear a picture in in the Old Testament as we are in the New, but that can be said about a number, I mean, all of the doctrines.
2: But you'd have very clear union with a person. Yes, well, for sure. Union with Adam.
0: Yes, you do. You have a headship mm-hmm. or... Representative. Pr- representative in Adam. in participation. Right. Absolutely. I and mean, incorporation. I and mean, in orthodoxy has
2: affirmed from the very beginning, specifically as it relates to our human nature, our sinful human nature, Yes, that we aren't sinners because we sin. Right. We are sinners because we are in Adam.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh... This is the we've talked about this on the podcast before,, uh, but this is the this is a huge church history debate that was settled at a council between Augustine and Pelagius, talking about union in our sinful nature it's either Augustinianism or original sin or Pelagianism. And right. so, I think clearly you have this idea of union, representation, participation and incorporation yes. uh, in the Old
0: Testament. Absolutely. And, and and But but it's the bad news. <laughs> A it's lot of it's news, the bad news. But there are pictures of good news. Right. Well, I think covenants that, is the stand-in for union with Christ.
2: You're uh, the offspring of Abraham. Right. And so, you're in Israel yes. and you're in Abraham's offspring. You're, uh, David would be another picture of representation incorporation and participation. Yes, mm-hmm. He is our covenantal head in some sense Moses. Moses would be another one. So there are types. Yeah. And anywhere where you see covenants,
0: yeah. Anytime anywhere where you see covenants, you are seeing a foretaste of what union with Christ is going to entail. Yeah. Which is that all the spiritual blessings have been secured for
2: you. Like Mm -hmm. Israel's life is dependent upon the actions of the king. Yes. 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 Like you could be a faithful Israelite not worshiping in syncretism or participating in polytheism or participating in any kind of idolatry, but if King David is, your life changes. Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. because he stands as a covenant representative. That's right. Yes. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit Guide to Gospel generosity dot com. That's Guide to Gospel generosity dot com. Jen, who's one of the smartest people that you know? JT English. That's true. And where did JT go to seminary Mm, at? I'm pretty sure it was
1: Southern Seminary. It
0: was. And we have a lot of people that are a part of our staff that have either are in programs at Southern or have completed programs through Southern. And we have a ton of our members across a variety of life stages who are currently students at Southern Seminary because they make it so easy and so accessible. And if you're looking to pursue more theological education, whether an undergrad or a master's, or even just to get some classes to become a better Bible teacher, you can go to Southern Seminary's website, sbts.edu. And you can apply using the code knowingfaith and have your application fee waived. When I look at the Old Testament, somebody's like, where do you see union with Christ in the Old Testament? We would first go, well, you see the bad news of union with Adam and being in Adam. This Mm -hmm. is what Paul's getting at in Romans 5. It's what he's getting at in 1 Corinthians 15, that we were in Adam. But you're getting shadows and pictures of what it's going to look like to be pulled into union with Christ, and you're getting them most clearly when it comes to covenant cutting. Like the great story of Genesis 15, Mm -hmm. right, where the covenant's cut, and Abraham is put to sleep. God is cutting covenant with Abraham, and yet God is the one that goes through the severed sacrifice. The picture there is what? Well, if you keep covenant, then everything that belongs to me by right, I will give you by gift. Mm -hmm. But if you don't keep covenant, I will take upon all the covenant curses on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the good news of the doctrine of union with Christ, Mm -hmm. is that by virtue of our union with Christ, God gives us in Jesus everything that uh, belongs to the son, just by virtue of who he is and his perfect life, uh, death, resurrection, and ascension, and Jesus takes upon himself everything that properly belongs to us. So yeah. like Genesis 15 and the covenant cutting and then the echoes of that throughout the Old Testament, in my mind, that's where you get to see some of the good news of what union with God and Christ is going to look like. Although it is just vapor trails. Yes. It's glimmers. Yep. So, but then Jesus picks up similar themes. I think John
2: 15 is a great picture of, of this understanding of a union. Uh, he calls his disciples to abide in Him, and right. so it's not just that Paul is picking this up post death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. There is this really clear picture that Jesus is trying to give that your your life is found in Me, mm-hmm. and it's not so much that you need to seek life in Me; it's that your life is going to flow from Me. Yes, uh, and so He's making this really clear picture that
0: stay attached to Me because I am the source of your life. Yes. Yeah, he, he, the, the, the like essentially the abundant life that we're talking about is life in Jesus. Right. That's the whole image of the vine. That's right? right. That's
1: John 15. Right, yeah. a, about
0: abiding. When, what is John 15 talking about when it talks about abiding? It's talking about cultivating mm-hmm. our union with Christ Jesus. And mm-hmm. we're going to get back to union and communion language and how I think it's helpful yeah. at advancing this. But I think when we get to the question of where it shows up in the New Testament, mm-hmm. that's a lot more clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because it's all over the place. But Paul is certainly the theologian, like the premier theologian for union with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets to his conversion story. Like look at Acts 9. It says in Acts 9 that Saul was, you know, the story. Saul is breathing murderous threats. He's on the road to Damascus. He's a persecutor of Christians. And then it says on verse 3 in Acts 9... It says, now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, at Saul's conversion, what do we have? We have Jesus confronting Saul by identifying with his people. Mm -hmm. So it's no wonder to me at all that the doctrine of union with Christ becomes this mega paradigm for Paul because it's tied into his conversion. It's good, Kyle. Right? That like from the very moment of Saul's conversion, you're getting – Saul, who becomes Paul, is getting the doctrine of union with Christ, Mm. that Jesus radically identifies with his people to such a degree that when Saul is persecuting Christians, Jesus can tell Saul, you are persecuting me, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's absolutely profound um, when it comes to thinking through the origin of Paul's emphasis, because when you get into his letters, I would suggest, and it's not like this is novel to me. People who have been doing work in Paul have been making this case for as long as we've been reading Paul critically, which is that the doctrine of union with Christ is maybe the mega theme of his writings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I've never
2: anchored it in his conversion, and that makes a lot of sense. I've never, I've never thought about it that way specifically. I'm sure I've even heard you talk about it before, but that is making some more sense to me now. And, and you think about all of them, the body metaphors that Paul begins using right, yeah. throughout his epistles about uh, many members, uh, but one body or uh, mer- pictures of marriage, pictures of prophets and apostles and foundation being Jesus. I could, this is, that, that that helps me a lot. Yeah. I've never taken
0: a tax nine before. Well, and um, the first time I heard that was, I was in a uh, class with Dr. Adrian Smith. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how our uh, essentially... Uh, our, we're story-shaped creatures, which we talk about a lot. And then a lot of times our conversion stories, our testimony stories, are kind of laying the groundwork for the theological emphases of mm-hmm. our life. And he pointed this out with Saul, and I thought, wow, that's really profound. And so I just want to give credit where credit's due there. Um, he probably took it from somebody else too. That's kind of how it works, right? Just from like Paul. Just all kind of moving it along. Well,
1: yeah, I hope we're not making we, stuff we up. We don't want to be novel <laughs> when we're doing... <laughs> novelty, there's a penalty. For, there is a penalty. For a novelty, penalty. Penalty. actually,
0: yeah, when it comes to theology. So, when we're doing... Um, when we're kind of thinking through the doctrine of union with Christ, Ephesians 1 is a place that you would go to. Are there other places... Like Galatians 2.20. Okay. Uh,
2: Paul is, I mean, I, that is a one of the things that's hard uh, for us as teachers, but also hard for us just as believers is um, not become inoculated to verses that we're just so familiar with. So try to hear this verse freshly. I'm not reading it. So hopefully I quote it right. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me.
0: Yeah.
2: He's saying, I experienced the death of Saul or Paul at the crucifixion of Jesus, mm. that I was in him in a very real participatory way. And that I'm now experiencing new life. Why? not because of something I've done, but because he is still alive. Yes. That in his resurrection and ascension, I have experienced new birth. Like he is so closely identifying uh, that he is no longer in Adam, but he is in Christ. And everything that can be said about Jesus now can be said about
0: Paul. Yeah, and that's incredibly gloriously true. Oh my goodness. Right? Because a lot of times believers are like, well, hold on, I don't really feel righteous, or I don't really feel like, you know, especially when believers fall into sin, or they've given an temptation, or whatever, there's this sense of like, well, but I don't actually feel that I'm righteous any longer. Well, the scriptures are clear that we're not fundamentally righteous because of something that we can secure or have secured, but because of what God has secured for us in Jesus. Like Calvin says it this way, uh, it, is this, it is in the same manner assuredly that we are now righteous in him, not in respect of rendering our own just, uh, or of our rendering satisfaction to the justice of God by our own works, but because we are judged of in connection with Christ's righteousness, which we have put on by faith that it might become ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Mm -hmm. right? For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of
2: God. And this is a really, so I'm going to take us to Romans 6. We talked about this when we did our baptism episode uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Romans 6, 4 and 5, this is coming right on the heels of Paul arguing about union with Adam and union with Christ, that we've died in him, we've been made alive in Christ. Romans 6, 4 and 5 says this, We were buried therefore with him. We were buried with Mm -hmm. him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life, connecting the death of Jesus to our death, the life of Jesus to our life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So something that's really important to think about here is, and we've already mentioned this a few times. Uh, in previous podcasts that union with Christ doesn't have implications just for justification it certainly does mm-hmm. it also has implications for sanctification that the whole Christ is given is giving us a whole salvation yes. both moving from unjust to justified now between God and others but also unholy to being made
0: holy mm-hmm. by the power of the holy mm-hmm. spirit yeah and this is absolutely crucial and we've talked you've talked about this yeah. a lot
1: this is making me happy
0: right because well oh, this is
1: this is where you get to how this is an intensely practical doctrine right, right. and uh, I was sitting here thinking as you guys were talking about you know Paul's words on this where uh, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that the righteous will perform their acts of righteousness as though they are doing them for him. Mm-hmm and that's that to, that's a that's a picture of what sanctification looks like you know when i was hungry you fed me when i was thirsty you gave me something to drink is that we understand through our union with christ that we are living the life of christ essentially because you look at like the parable of the good samaritan is is saying this is what you know it, it, it's obviously it's a picture of christ and how he acts toward sinners mm-hmm. but then it becomes you know he he wraps up the parable of the good samaritan by saying go and do likewise and, yep. and going and doing look likewise means that we then take on the, the needs of others as though we're serving Christ.
2: And the reason we can himself. do that yes. is because right. life is now sourced in the one who, has, right. who is holy, is seated at the right hand of the Father yeah. and is giving us and enjoying us with his Holy yeah. Spirit. So sanctification yeah. is still completely gift.
1: It is yeah, foreign for sure. and given, well, and going, but it is
2: true and real. Well, right.
1: going back to the vine and branches um, illustration, the vine, it's the branches that bear fruit, right? Right, yeah. And so the, the the branches bear the fruit of sanctification, you could say, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But all of that happens only if the vine is supplying life to the branches. Yeah,
0: right. absolutely. I think about how Paul, at the, you know, we're very familiar with Ephesians 2, 1 through Nine. I would say that we almost always preach or you hear about Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which is a unit, but you only hear about 1 through 9. It's like... Uh, We hear, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins Mm -hmm. in which you once walked. That's the bad news. And then we'll go, verse four, look, but God being rich in mercy. And then we spend the next 35 Mm -hmm. minutes going by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, all of those things are wonderfully, gloriously, beautifully, Mm -hmm. foundationally true. Paul ends Ephesians 2, one through 10 by saying this, for we are his workmanship created where? In Christ Christ Jesus. Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's like, it's indisputable. This is why I always say that the reason why we have such a problem with this tension between justification and sanctification and a misunderstanding of grace and holiness is because we divorce all of these aspects of doctrine of salvation from the bedrock of union with Christ. That's right. Because when you actually put them all there, then you take it out of this, uh, you know, God has declared me righteous and now uh, now I have to walk in righteousness. It's like, no. The the problem with so much of our language around salvation is that we remove it from the primary relational context that the New Testament imagines it in, which is union with yeah. Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. And he even continues in in chapter two, the end of chapter two, in him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God right. by the spirit. Yeah, It's a work that's happening. It. It's a work that's happening yes. in the presence of God is among us. And what does the presence of God entail? Holiness. Holiness. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a little quiet running joke in our family about but God sermons. Right. You know, we'll say, hey, how was your, oh, I heard the but God sermon again. And the but God sermon it, is always about justification, always. which I think is why we keep preaching it. And because it, it's, it's a great like, doctrine. It is. It's gloriously true. It's, it's a great true. doctrine, but yeah. it's, a, there's, it's a symmetrical passage. It starts with how we walked as children of wrath and it ends with how we walk as children of mm-hmm. God.
0: Yeah. It, and the walking it, yes, part matters. It at 100% does. It 100% does. And we take this Martin Luther quote, and I'm about to get on my hobby horse here. We take this Martin Luther quote that the doctrine of justification is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls, which is absolutely – like justification is true. It is so historically situated. Luther is looking at the Roman Catholic Church where maybe the biggest issue was a misunderstanding of how one is justified. Mm -hmm. That's his big thing. Okay, Luther is most clear when he's writing his commentary on Galatians because justification is the, the righteousness of God. It's the big deal. Yeah. It was what was at stake. Then. It's what yeah, was it's at, stake stake at stake then. But we'll kind of bandy it about like that's the core doctrine of salvation. And uh, Protestants and the little Reformed subculture is the worst about this, which in reality, the doctrine of justification is not the bedrock doctrine of our doctrine of salvation. It is the doctrine of union with Christ because we only receive the declaration of righteousness. In Jesus. If you're in Jesus. That's it. The Declaration of Righteousness doesn't exist somewhere else. Calvin said there is not there is not a righteousness we can receive outside of Jesus. That's right. I mean, you don't get more reform than Calvin. Right. Okay? <laughs> so like – the Reformed bona fides on this is that, listen, doctrine of union with Christ is the principal bedrock doctrine of our salvation. So I think that raises some question we've already got to, but this is a good place to kind of like land this. Because if not, I'm about to bust up Are you going to be like able to land because you're like, yeah, you're going no
1: more coffee for coffee. Why
0: does this doctrine matter for the Christian life? Why? I mean, there's we, we could say a hundred things here. Why does it matter?
2: Um... Yeah, there are a hundred things we could say. I mean, I'm gonna say, I've got one then. Jen probably has okay. 10 Then I've got one no, more. No, I
1: have one low uh, level.
2: Uh, the, I hope this is low level. Uh, and this, there's probably people who are listening to this and we have conversations around justification, sanctification, and they can get worried about like, oh my goodness, I sinned yesterday. And maybe I haven't mm-hmm. been justified and sanctified. Like mm-hmm. the good news of union with Christ, the good news of justification, the good news of sanctification, and all that is entailed in all of those doctrines is that you have not, cannot, will not contribute anything to your salvation. Yes. The entirety of your salvation is sourced in you being placed in Jesus. Yes, Salvation is a one-way act of God accomplishing what we could not accomplish on our behalf. That does not take anything away that we've just said about Ephesians Mm -hmm. 2, of accomplishing the good works that he's set set up before us. But if you're listening to this, you should receive the good news that grace is God accomplishing for you, for us, for the church, for his body, what we could have never accomplished for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you get to rest in Jesus. Yes.
0: You get to rest
2: in the... In Jesus. In, he's in Jesus. In him, yeah. with him, through him is rest and salvation. That's mm-hmm.
1: good. I remember from years ago, and I've used this illustration because it was so helpful to me, someone teaching on this, and he, he gave a physical representation of it. And he had a small storage container, and he took some beans, okay. some dried beans, and he put them in the small storage container, and he said, this is Christ in you. And then he put the lid on the storage container and he took that and he put it inside of a larger storage container. He said, this is you in Christ. Mm-hmm. And he put the lid on that. Yep. And then he held it up and he said, how secure are you? Yeah. And that has just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. There's so much uh, security in, yes. in this doctrine, mm-hmm. so much of a reassurance that uh, he's in you and you're in him and, and you're safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're safe and, and, and secure in, 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 in that union.
0: Yeah. The doctrine of union with Christ... Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's got to be one of the biggest ways that it's helpful for the living of the Christian life is that there's this incredible reality that ultimately our salvation is secure because Christ is faithful. Mm -hmm. Not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. He keeps and guards his people. And because we did not earn or gain our union with him, we cannot lose it. And so I'll often talk about this distinction between union and communion, that our union with God, with God is locked into Christ Jesus. It's unbreakable. It's unshakable. It's irrevocable. It's what Paul's saying in Romans 8. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. Where? In, in Christ. Christ Jesus. That's right. Nothing can separate us. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the love of God is secured and sealed in Christ, and it's his faithfulness that keeps it. Right. But communion is something that can be disrupted. So yeah. I often say union is where God has secured every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But communion is our ongoing cultivation of enjoying. Abide. Uh, yeah, of abiding, mm-hmm. abiding of every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so oftentimes what believers experience when they begin to doubt or when they begin to lack assurance is they are rightly perceiving a disruption in their Mm. communion with God. Mm -hmm. They're rightly sensing like I have been walking in things that are disrupting or are sowing um, what you might call emotional or uh, I want to say existential, but there is a felt sense of distance distance from Mm -hmm. God. And they interpret that as I must not be saved. Mm-hmm. that's like that's the knee jerk or, or God's
2: uh, feelings towards me his his disposition had and posture towards coal. me that has grown cold
0: mm-hmm. when in reality what is happening is that we uh, usually by virtue of the brokenness of the world or the brokenness in our own life, we have had some distance from the things of the Lord but the things of the Lord have not become suspect for us. It's not like they've become jeopardized because we are not holding those things. Christ is holding those things, Mm -hmm. but it's our nearness towards enjoying those things. It's our felt sense. So I feel like union is so helpful for also empowering people to enjoy God, like to actually fellowship with God Mm -hmm. because it invites them to go... Felt uh, your your felt sense of fellowship with God is not the barometer for whether or not you are secure That's in right. Jesus. But because you are secure in Jesus, you can enjoy a felt sense of fellowshipping with God in Christ. So it allows you to properly place that to go, uh, man, I don't know that I have been feeling much Uh, nearness to the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, but to not immediately go, well, I must not have those spiritual blessings any longer. That's right. Mm -hmm. Or they must have been removed from me. That's right. Or I must have never tasted of them. Mm -hmm. No, it's an invitation to come back and say, no, 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 they're still where God has left them because they're in Jesus. That's right. Mm -hmm. You didn't lose them. I mean, union with Christ
2: battles these false ways of knowing, like experience, like these other ways, or even rationalism. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think I'm far from God, or I feel far from God. Union with Christ is the reminder that Christians have another way of knowing. Yes. Yes. And our way of knowing is simply through faith yeah. and believing that we have been placed in Christ. And the way that that happens, the means that happens, is through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, being born again, being given this faith. I love how, I think you read this earlier, Kyle, I forget where you stopped in Ephesians, but this Trinitarian act of union. Yes. So like Ephesians begins with the Father setting his love and affection upon us, yes. the Son accomplishing salvation for us, but Ephesians 2 Still speaking of union, talks about how, how Jesus accomplishes union in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So Ephesians chapter one ends this way. In him, who you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it union with Christ cannot be broken because it is sealed by the power of God yes the Holy Spirit is God himself at yes. work in us sealing Christ in us and sealing us in Christ and there's just nothing that you can do there's nothing that you can do or have done that can break the seal of God placed upon your life yeah
0: that's so good that's good and I and and it's also our union with Christ and our enjoyment of that is is one of the key witnesses to the world that's right like so, this reality—the reality that comes—so like I think about the high priestly prayer. Mm-hmm. So as if you were thinking, Jen's already brought up some of the other passages where Jesus is talking about this incorporation, mm-hmm. identification, mm-hmm. participation. But no more, nowhere more clearly in the Gospels than in John 17, mm-hmm. where Jesus in the high priestly prayer says, "I do not ask for these only." This is verse 20 of chapter 17. But uh, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Right? We Mm -hmm. get this picture of, what is it? Jesus is saying, um, I want them to experience unity among uh, among themselves. And he's talking specifically about Gentile Jewish unity here. And then he's saying, why? Because we are united. And I want them to be one with us as you and I have been one. And why all of this? So that the world might believe. That's right. And the reason for that is because union with Christ is not just the bedrock for our doctrine of salvation. Like, it's not just the way that the that the system works. So it's not just like, here's an idea that's going to put the pieces together. It's that it gives the Christian such an unspeakable rest and confidence. Assurance. And assurance mm-hmm. that now... All of the risk and all of the sacrifice and all of the picking up the cross and dying daily and all of the vulnerabilities that obedience requires, all of those things can be approached from a glad heart because they're all secured in Jesus. Right. And we are protected there. And we've been folded into fellowship, and we're not trying to earn it. And so it gives us a settledness in the eyes of the world mm-hmm. that's constantly trying to earn. this is where the union with Christ comes into our identity formation, mm-hmm. where it's like there's just a subtle resolve mm-hmm. of like, you know what? Isn't it? wouldn't it be beautiful to the world if they saw a group of people that were so at rest with who God has called them in Christ Jesus? that go, go they'd go, what gives that kind of rest mm-hmm. what well, then
1: and that by, by result, they would be so at rest with one another. And I think that's the real kicker there is a lot of the times that we feel disunion with God that creeps in is because we are not in union with one another. And then when we try to rectify the one another part without being rooted in the union with Christ, it doesn't work out. It
0: doesn't. It, it doesn't. And every disruption of the unity in the body mm-hmm. is first and foremost a disruption mm-hmm. of how we are perceiving um, our communion with God in Christ. Yep. That's and that's what good. Paul does in Ephesians. Yep. Mm-hmm. He starts with the union with Christ, but what's the back half of Ephesians about? Mm-hmm. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 6 are unity in the church and mission. That's what they're about. That's right. Man, that's a word for today, isn't it? It is. It is. From Paul. In Ephesus or <laughs> <We're> writing to <laughs> Ephesus. Well, listen, um, I feel like we could talk. I could talk.
1: I feel like you could talk about this forever. I'm
0: sorry. I kind of I talked <laughs> this a lot. is
2: in, in the training program. No. We do a whole week to this, yeah, and no, this uh, is Kyle's. I real love seeing house.
0: his face light up. I love it. I just and- tell you one of the most in, uh, one of the most uh, memorable moments of my life was I was in a class with a theologian named Sinclair Ferguson. I tell this story when I usually teach on this in the training program. I was in a class with Sinclair Ferguson, who was an incredible theologian and an incredible theologian of union with Christ. And it was Doctrine of Salvation too. And I remember it. we were out of class for our break. And I came up to him and I just asked him I asked them like a basic question. I don't even remember the question I asked him. Okay. Um, And this was, gosh, this was years ago. Um, And he grabbed me, like he's a very large man, okay, in Scottish. I can't do a Scottish accent, it would just be embarrassing. Okay. (laughs) But he grabbed me and he put his hands on my shoulders and he shook me and said, son, you are not understanding me. It is all in union with Christ. And it was like a very (laughs) visceral experience. I got my car that day and I drove home crying. I didn't really know why. And I went back and I started to kind of reread through the letters of Paul. And it was one of the greatest comforts that the Lord has ever given me in Mm -hmm. reading and searching his word, uh, that there's doctrine that had to me, it's like, it's so apparent on the surface of the New Testament, but I had never really seen it. Mm -hmm. I never really spent time in there. And the more I spent time there, the more I began to feel freedom from, uh, man, am I supposed to be working to obey God or working to Mm -hmm. earn great? Like all of the little like idiosyncrasies, my uh, doubts around my assurance of salvation, all these things began to like just be pulled off like yeah. barnacles off a boat because this doctrine is so obvious on the New Testament and it's so liberating when we begin to see, man, I am in Christ Jesus. What can be said of Jesus can be said of like, me.
2: Like this is a startling doctrine. That's it why I'm so, gra- I'm so glad he grabbed you and shook you mm-hmm. because you this should shook. shake us. I got shook. You got this got should shook. shake us out of fear and into hope. Yes. I mean, this is one of those doctrines that just, the more you see it, uh, the, the, you can't unsee it. Yeah, you, y- if you are in Christ, you've been placed in the heavenly places with him yeah. and you will not be lost. The same grace that saves is the same grace that keeps. That's good.
1: Can I start using shaking as something that I do to make my point come across? Well, Can I, I shake not people? Not with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, listen, if there's anything you're to talk about on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. On our next episode, we're going to be continuing the discussion of Second Samuel, looking at an ark and a covenant in Second Samuel 5 through 8 with our friend Jamin Roller. See you next time. Grace and peace.